The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hello there, and welcome to Circling the Bases, proudly part of NBC Sports Edge. I'm Chris Crawford, and I host this fine podcast every Thursday morning. I'm going to be bringing in some smart folks from around the baseball industry to talk all things fantasy baseball and more. And we're going live now, so thank you to everybody who's watching us on Twitch or however you're watching and however you're listening. We sure do appreciate it. And I won't waste time. I'll bring in my special guest. You have no doubt read his work at a variety of places, but you probably know him best as a staff writer for Ringer, where he covers a heck of a lot of stuff. He's also one of the co-hosts of the Ringer MLB show, their excellent podcast. Please help me welcome Michael Bauman. Michael, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to all the smart people joining us later in the show that you were alluding to. <laughs> uh, self-deprecating. I really appreciate that early on. Uh, so I've asked my guests this question to begin the show, and it, it's uh, it's kind of really just making fun of some people, but I have to ask, do you have any thoughts on St. Louis pizza? No, none? I no, none whatsoever. I, I'm not even sure I can tell you what it is exactly. So I'm, I live now and grew up in New Jersey and therefore no good pizza. And I've lived all over the country uh, and found pizza varying qualities. And is, is St. Louis the, the one with, with like mayonnaise is that it's so it's got a mayonnaise-esque cheese to it it's called okay. Pavel. it's very um controversial is probably the nicest way to put it it, it is a, a combination of provolone and a lot of other cheeses and then it's got like a cracker crust um i think it sounds disgusting with all due respect to the nine hundred and sixty-five thousand people who work for nbc sports from st louis but it is Apparently an acquired taste. Uh, some people have enjoyed it, like the people I've had on from St. Louis. And uh, Grant Brisby said he wanted to try it, um, which just makes me question Grant Brisby's taste. I mean, uh, that guy was a hero of mine, and now I'm wondering what I'm doing. But uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a mistake a, for other it's, reasons. It's a mistake but, for other reasons, for sure. So what I'll, what I'll say to that is it seems like it runs into the same problem as Chicago deep dish pizza, which is it sounds great but it doesn't sound like pizza and not to be like those obnoxious Italian guys, but you don't have to call your regional food stuff by a generic name. If what you're serving is not actually what it says on the label. So I'll eat, you know, this St. Louis cheese and crackers thing, which sounds, sounds just fine. But 
<laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, my, my buddy Drew Silva basically calls it nacho pizza, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's a description. Sold. Yeah, next time I'm in St. Louis. See, there you go. That's perfect. Uh, so we got that fun part out of the way. Let's talk a little bit about baseball since that's why we're here. Uh, we are over the quarter point of the season, which is weird to me because last year at this point, well, we weren't playing baseball at this point, but after 40 games last year, we were two thirds of the way done. Do you feel a sense of normalcy with baseball right now, covering the sport, watching the sport? Are we are we getting closer to a, a normal, or is there still some work to be done there? Well, I, it tur- we're still seeing reduced capacity crowds. Like I, you know, I'm still not going back to the clubhouse. You know, media access hasn't been restored all the way, and so sure. you know, that's I mean, that's going to be the big domino that falls just for my own. Um, personal perception. I'm also wondering how long it's going to take to, to get back to normal, like societally, like it's, I think it's going to take us even as, as places are opening up and, you know, the mask mandates and social distancing mandates are, are coming down. Like I know I'm having a hard, you know, a hard time like adjusting to the idea that like, you know, I can go outside to a restaurant. Like, you know, I, ate at a restaurant for the first time in, in a year and a half, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just going to take societally a while to get everybody feeling comfortable. Like, and baseball, you know, we're having 162 game season with the normal, uh, uh, the normal playoff format is more normal than it was last year, but I, everything sort of feels a little bit off. Like there's, not one team that's really running away with it the way you would expect. You know, we're seeing inconsistency from from a lot of clubs. We're seeing a, a uptick in in DL st- or, sorry in IL stints, um, and so everything is just sort. It feels like a little bit weird. So we're getting there, but it's still uh, still a ways off. I think from normal. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, it kind of feels like to me almost like it's. Uh a rebranding or like a, a, if you're going to make the TV comparison, it feels like a, a remake of a television show type of thing where like it's normal, but it's still not quite what I was used to. And maybe it's because like last year hit me so hard and it was so different covering the sport, but I can't help but feel like, like this is the, um, the Mike Tuck remake uh, of 20 of MLB seasons. You know what I mean? It feels, yeah, I think the, the TV, analogy it's good it feels like i forget there was some show in the 90s that had like a big change in like the lighting design from from one season to the next it might have been might have been sports night um or it might have been something else but like the visual look of the of the show changed completely from one season to another so like it's still all the same characters it's still like the same writing style but it just looks a little weird yeah or like it's kind of like um i think even sports night did this where like you had the show with the laugh track and then the yeah, laugh track the, yeah. goes away. Like, like it's that might that be what I'm thinking of. Thing. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that's that. I totally get that. Uh, speaking of a sense of normalcy, whether or not it's actually happening, it sure feels like no hitters are the new normal. And we saw another one on uh, uh, recording this on Wednesday night. We saw it on Tuesday night. Spencer Turnbull, no hits. The Mariners uh, allows just two walks. He strikes out nine. It's the fifth or sixth no hitter, depending on whether you count Madison Bumgarner's. I absolutely count Madison Bumgarner's, and if you don't, heaven help you. But that is, uh, it, it's certainly becoming a, a thing that uh, 
people certainly have an opinion on based on me being online. If you're not online, congratulations. Um, do you are you bothered by how many no hitters we're seeing, or and can you still appreciate them, or is this a something that um, you just kind of have to take on a case by case basis? Yeah, I I'm definitely aware that there's more of them than normal. I mean, I've, we talked about this on on our own show with mm-hmm. you know myself and Zach Cram and Ben Lindbergh, who's a joyless grouch, and said he's starting <laughs> to get tired of it. But I'm watching that Tigers game last night. I notice who's not over this is the players. They still freaked out and dogpiled after Turnbull uh, uh, got through the the end of his no hitter and right. I think as long as they're excited about it, as long as the broadcasters are excited about it, we have to be excited as viewers because that yeah, that enthusiasm's contagious. And I think is it taking the shine off the accomplishment? I don't really know how to to answer that. I I saw some people saying, well, if Spencer Turnbull can do it, then maybe it's not as special. Like Spencer Turnbull's really good. He's better yeah. than anybody. He's been better over the past two years or so than anybody who's thrown a no hitter this year, except for I'd say John means. And so I like, this is the least surprising of maybe of the, the no hitters that's been, been thrown. If, if you've been paying attention to how good Turnbull's been. Um, so I don't think the, the shines come off it. It's still an exciting thing to watch. It's still a reason to, if you've just sort of got MLB.tv on in the background to change over to, to one game yeah, at the end of the night. I, I think it's cool. Maybe, you know, maybe, I'm a mark, but, but no. I'm still not over no hitters. It's, I, I'm it's not either. Yeah. And, and maybe this uh, just speaks to the fact that we're, we're, we're young, but maybe not as young as some other folks around. Yeah. Uh, but like, it's fun to watch. And uh, I do think you do have to take it on a case by case basis. And last night's no hitter from Turnbull was a good no hitter. Like that was an impressive, uh, he was locating his stuff. He was missing bats. And you, like you said, Spencer Turnbull, you, you take a look at that three and seventeen record that he had a couple of years ago, and I think that's how people judge him as a pitcher. Well, that's insane because one win loss record is a terrible way to judge a pitcher anyway. But he was what a young pitcher for an absolutely atrocious so, baseball team. Yeah. I was I was in the Detroit BBWA chapter at that time, and I had to vote for like a Tigers Player of the Year award. Oh, nice. <laughs> just stared at baseball reference. <laughs> I think there was like, a, I, I can't, I think it was split pitcher versus hitter. They had a, a few good pitchers on that team, including Turnbull and Matt Boyd. And uh, Shane Green was, I forget if he got traded that year or the year after, but I'm just looking at the position players. Like all these guys are terrible. <laughs> yeah. So I don't even remember who I voted for, but yeah, it, those 17 <laughs> losses were not his fault. No, not at all. And um you know, I, it's fair to say that the Mariners have been no-hit twice and very close to a third. Zach Plesak, I believe, took a no-hitter into the eighth inning, or at, or at least into the seventh inning. It, it's hard to keep track. But it is funny that five no-hitters have been thrown against three teams this year. The, mm-hmm. the Cleveland's been no-hit twice. Seattle's been no-hit twice. And I believe Texas is the other one. But I still love them. And, but it's you have to take it, I think, on a case-by-case basis. Like, I have seen a no-hitter where Edwin Jackson walked eight people. And it's it's certainly fun to watch yeah. that. But it's like, all right, well, so that one's not quite as good. But you just kind of have to appreciate it just like uh, a movie. Like, the, you know what? Some Sometimes a, uh, a movie that wins Best Picture or gets a lot of critical acclaim is not going to be your type of thing. Not every no-hitter is going to be great. But there's still something to watch. I think I think the messy no hitters are are almost more exciting. Like sure. I love watching the elite pitcher at the top of his game, 
and and you're just overawed by the the quality of the performance. But watching like the Linscombe no hitter was like this, where you're just sort of walking the tightrope, like like you know, uh, like Mr. Magoo walking through traffic. And, <laughs> sure. and so that's, you know, it's not going to, like you said, win best picture, but that, that's still fun to watch. It's still a spectacle. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of spectacles, uh, the NL East is a division that a lot of people really liked. And for good reason, there, there are some talented teams here. The division has been kind of a mess. Uh, right now we have the Mets in first place uh, with a 20 and 16 record and the Phillies just behind at 22 and 20. Then we have three teams with losing records in Atlanta, 19 and 23, Miami, 18 and 23, Washington, 16 and 22. Now it goes without saying that the sample size here is very small. We still have three quarters of a baseball season left, but is this, this division is wacky to me. Is this a, um, a case of, where these teams are kind of beating up on each other. They have played each other quite a bit early on, or is this something where this division is just kind of going to be murky throughout the year? I think all the teams that you would have expected to contend out of this division are underperforming a little bit. Right. Uh, I mean that the, the overall records bear that out, but I think there is something to they're just beating each other up. Particularly, you know, you look at the the Mets and the Phillies and some of the games that they've some of the wild games they've played. You talked about I described them last year as as teams with with first place talent and fourth place vibes. Right. And that that runs into to each other in weird combinations. I think you can make that argument for Atlanta too. Uh so none of those teams are really firing on all cylinders, but I'm watching yeah, just because of of where my personal internet bubble rests, I follow. You know, I interact with a lot of people who are Mets and Phillies fans, and sure. two, just grotesquely pessimistic. So I'm just watching every single night on my Twitter timeline a freak out about the two top, two top teams in the NL East, and I'm just like, life is <laughs> like life is stressful enough already. You just gotta go for a walk. And I think, yeah, I, I think over the course of the season, we're going to see uh, the wheat separate from the chaff a little bit. Cause all these teams have dealt with injuries. All these teams have dealt with big players that they were relying on uh, underperforming. They've all had bad luck to some extent or another. And I include Washington and, and Miami in this too. So I don't know which two or three teams are going to end up being in this race in July or August. Cause I think they all have flaws, They but they all have, yeah, they all have playoff quality uh, rosters We're it's just going to take a little while longer to see what shakes out. And so, you know, I think it's okay not to know at this, at this point in the season. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, I think it's really fun. Like you see the strengths. I think it, again, small sample, it goes, it just goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Um, you see the strengths of these clubs. You also see the weaknesses and mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see too, because, a few of these teams can make moves at the deadline to improve, but like a team like Washington, like that farm system is awful, like awful, awful. There are very few things that they can move to make improvements. I think the Phillies have a, a kind of an underrated system where they could make uh, some moves to make Atlanta certainly has, but we have seen in the past, Atlanta does not like moving those prospects and uh, they've made moves, but it's usually been, uh, for uh, questionable returns for the other side. They have done a very good job of not uh, exposing that stuff. And then the Mets, I mean, 
they're the Mets. It's such a, it's such a, an interesting juxtaposition between all of those teams. Uh, one of the players for the Phillies that has gotten off to a disappointing would be fair to say start would be my good friend Alec Bohm. Alec Bohm doesn't know me. Uh, he is hitting 229, 263.50. Uh, he has hit four homers. He's driven in 23 runs. But he has a very, very ugly 44 to 8 strikeout to walk ratio. Now, I'll ask you, uh, I think it's worth pointing out that you have uh, in your time rooted for the Phillies of Philadelphia to win a game or two. Um, but with those, that preference aside, uh, are you concerned about this start or is this uh, just a case of a young player struggling? I mean, it's not what you want, but you look at the what he did last year. There was his BABIP was something like four ten, um, right. and now it's I think it's in the the high two fifty. So I, you know, it's it's a case of that. This happens to a ton of young players. I just heard about Brian Reynolds from the Pirates going through this. He was never as good as the as his great rookie year would right. suggest, but never as bad as that sophomore slump would suggest. And I think Bohm's going through it a little bit. The strike, the strikeout to walk ratio is ugly. And it's not what I would expect from somebody who has really awesome back control for a guy uh, that big with lovers that long. Um, I, I like his approach. I like that he doesn't, that, that he keeps something in reserve and just hits the ball hard enough to get it through. Um, it sometimes prioritizes contact. I don't know if that's coming back to, to bite him. You know, I'm not a, a, a hitting coach, but the, you look at the underlying numbers, the expected Woba, it's, it, it's not like they're, it, it's, uh, I think in the, the three twenties right now, which is, mm. you know, it's fine. It's not going to, sure make him the next guy on that list of great Phillies third baseman from like Dick Allen to Mike Schmidt to Scott Rowland, which they basically had like all in a row, but it's confident. I think he still, he still only got about 90 major league games under his belt at this uh, point in his career. You know, being a college guy, he's a little older, but he's definitely still developing. This is really only a second go round um, of the league. So he's still got adjustments to make. So I'm, yeah, it's not ideal, but I'm not, pushing the panic button. I'm not looking for external options right now. I, I think you just keep him in the lineup and, and hope he comes out of it. And, and uh, you know, I'm confident that, that he will to, to at least some extent. Yeah. I'm confident he will as well. Like this is one of my favorite hitting prospects in the last couple of years. I still think he's going to hit for plenty of average and plenty of power. Uh, the, the strikeout to walk ratio concerns me a little bit, but like you said, he's still a young player who's making adjustments and certainly sees the baseball well. It, it's certainly been frustrating. I think, again, this is a case of expectations versus reality. It is a because he was so good and, mm -hmm. the, you know, and also so lucky a little bit. Like you said, like there was yeah. definitely he was definitely fortunate. A lot of that hard contact just seemed to always find some grass. But uh, but long term, I think he's going to be a star. Right now, I still think he's going to be, for from the fantasy's perspective, I would guess he still ends up being a third baseman one, like one of the top 10 to 12 third basemen. And that's, you know, saying a lot because this position's loaded well, right now. That's yeah. saying he's going to yeah. stay on the dirt long term, too, which that I, is a good point. Yeah, that is even as an outbound fan, I have my doubts about. Yeah, that's I mean. Honestly, I think his best position would be first base, but I don't think that's going to uh, happen anytime soon. I do think in the the era of the shift, it's a little bit more easy to get away with this type of stuff. Yes. Uh, third base, not as much as like shortstop and second base because, you know, 
you're not usually, uh, except for like cases where there's like an extreme left-handed pole thing, you're probably not moving Alec Bohm too much. But um, yeah, the long-term, uh, that bat's going to play wherever he wants to hit, like or mm-hmm. wherever the Phillies want to play. It's just, you know, it's frustrating going through this stuff. But if you're a fantasy manager and you're uh, rostering Alec Bohm, then just be patient. I promise it'll work out. Uh, my friend Nate Diggity88 asked us a question of Whit Merrifield for Max Muncy. Unless you're playing in an on-base percentage league, there's no way in heck I'm doing that move. Uh, I would have Whit Merrifield easily over Max Muncy with all due respect to him. He's just much more likely to contribute in those categories. Do you have any thoughts on that, Mr. Bauman? Um, thank you for, for pandering to me with the, the Whit Merrifield question, the <laughs> South Carolina College World Series. Here. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think I wouldn't give up on, on a guy who steals that many bases. No. That's... I, I, that might be oversimplifying things. You know, you're the fantasy baseball expert, but that's just what I would look at that. He's got a chance to contribute, like got a chance to contribute with the bat and also put up big stolen base numbers. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into the second half of our show, I do have a special offer for our listeners. Use promo code bases 10 for 10% off any premium subscription for NBC sports edge plus. It can be used monthly, annually, and it can be used for any tier. So not only do you get access to the baseball season tools, but your subscription also covers NBA, Go Sonics, NHL, Go Kraken, and NFL. You probably know, but Go Seahawks. So it's a great value, and it can help you if you play baseball or if you have your hand in all sports. So just remember, it's promo code BASES10, and you can go to NBCSportsEdge.com premium to get started. And also make sure you're checking out the new NBC Sports Edge app. Features a clean look with fantastic information and the ability to customize that information for all sports as well. All you got to do is search for NBC Sports Edge app, uh, just NBC Sports Edge. If you search for app, it'd probably still come up, but just search for NBC Sports Edge in either the Apple Store or the Google Play App Store. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. So now we can get into a little bit more uh, fun after we got those conversations were by no means boring and everybody is extremely entertained. But let's talk about something that we are both 
big fans of college baseball. Uh, Michael, uh, if you didn't know, uh, is a uh, graduate of a university in uh, Clemson. Is is that Clemson? Yeah. Is that, yeah. <laughs> Michael went to uh, South Carolina and has gotten to watch some awfully good baseball there. I'm I'm pretty envious. Uh, my I didn't do my university experience until I was an old man, so I never really got into uh, that stuff. But uh, I have always loved college baseball, and we we both have had many a Google chat about college baseball. And I think we're seeing an uptick in the popularity in the sport. But my, I guess my question for you is, can this sport get to that level where certainly not competing with college football and college basketball, because that's just unrealistic, but can it be in that like notch below or are we kind of seeing the peak of popularity for college baseball? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll, I'll answer your question with a question, which is, yeah. does it need to grow? Because I think a, a fatal mistake that that a lot of sports and entertainment properties and, and media properties make, you know, sorry for talking about amateur athletics, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> like it's a media business. So. Right. The mask slipped a little bit there, but it's the the fallacy of perpetual growth under capitalism that it everything has to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's okay if something just works. And I think college baseball is an incredible regional sport. It, you know, it, it, some of these universities, it is the number two sport. It's bigger than basketball, uh, and it's and that's fine. Like it, if it takes that. You know, teams in in Texas, in the Southeast, in California, they draw huge crowds, and and it's growing. Yeah, it's growing as the Big Ten invests. There's, you know, I used to cover college baseball in the Midwest, and the investment in places like Nebraska, Indiana, Michigan, which made, just made a, a college World Series final uh, a couple years ago. It's growing there, but it's growing organically, and I think trying to rush it is carries a lot of risk putting a lot of pressure on infrastructure that might not be there for it yet spent you know, university spending a lot of money that might be better allocated elsewhere. So I think with the, I'll say this, it's a sport that's ideal for over the top uh, streaming broadcasting ESPN plus SEC, SEC network, SEC network plus ACC sure. network. Like that's, that's what's cool about it for me. It's how much of it, like there, this is why I prefer college football, the NFL, whereas if, if it's, if you're watching the NFL, you're getting a couple, you know, a couple games on a Sunday and then a couple national games during the week. But for college football, there's just dozens and dozens of games. So there's always a good game on. And I think college baseball is at its best when it leans into that from like a national coverage perspective. So I think, just the amount of of baseball that there is, the fact that it starts earlier, that there's made that there's meaningful baseball going on with players that you're going to see play uh, in Major League Baseball, that it starts when MLB starting its spring training, right? Like, I don't give a crap about spring training. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I'm watching baseball in in February and March, I'm watching watching college baseball because sure. it's actually competitive. Uh, it's a competitive enterprise, and so. I also think that as people care more about prospects, I don't know if that wave has sort of peaked. It might have, you know, might have crested a couple of years ago, but uh, that's another growth market that, particularly this year with Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter at Vanderbilt, the hype around them, uh, which I guess I'm at least partially, you know, responsible for, but it's. <laughs> 
like these guys are are you know, casual baseball fans know these these players' names, and and that doesn't happen. We're seeing it happen more and more uh, in the the past couple of years. So I think that there are pockets, you know, as as you see Big Ten schools start to get more competitive, or Missouri or Missouri Valley Conference, or some other places where they're purposely building programs or it appealing to people who just love to have sports on or are really into prospects or, or you know, these incredibly yeah. long-term fantasy leagues that I can't even begin to comprehend. Um, sure. it, will it ever challenge basketball or come close to challenging basketball or, or will you ever see anything short of like a no hitter or the college world series get covered on sports center? Probably not anytime soon. And I think that's fine because I think it works really well the way it's, it's the way it's going now. Yeah, I think that's fair. There, There is something to um, the nicheness of it or uh, however you're supposed to pronounce that word. But it's uh, it's also like, look, college baseball has some uh, built in disadvantages that it just probably can't ever recover from because of the unless they change start dates, there are going to be some places that just are not going to be mm-hmm. either able to have the sport or be competitive with the sport because, you know, February in Iowa is just not a thing that you're going to want to see. It's why you see so many quality prospects out of places like Iowa and Wisconsin go to Florida and Texas to go play college baseball. I mean, or sign like uh, a, a Gavin Lux would have ended up going not to uh, his local school or a, a player like Jared Kelnick, you know, it is just one of those things where, and the other thing is, is it's a little tougher to build the star quality of college baseball players uh, than it is to say the NBA and college, or excuse me, the NCAA and college football. Whether that's a a failure on our parts, and or whether that's a failure on the networks for building the marketing of these players. It's so weird to say because they're not really supposed to be marketing the star players, but uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, I will ask you, since you are a a big fan of the South Carolina Gamecocks, are you uh, happy with the direction right now or uh, are you spoiled rotten? And uh, I think I'm, I think I'm spoiled rotten. I, I was talking to, I remember this conversation years and years ago when I was complaining about Chad Holbrook, who was two coaches ago now uh, right. to somebody who call who covers college baseball full time. And, you know, I was, they had hosted a regional and made the supers and, but he had made some, they had left a lot of meat on the bone. Like there was a, a, a lot of opportunity to, uh, to go further. And this was a team that had just won two straight national championships and then gone to the college world series final in a, in a third year. Um, and the person I was talking to was like, you have crazy expectations. Like, like it's a disaster if they're not going to Omaha every year. So maybe <laughs> I need to take a, a step back. Um, they've had a couple players that, that I've liked over, over the past few years, but it's, you know, I don't think it's that unreasonable with the investment in the program, with the success they've had recently to expect them to like hang with maybe not Vanderbilt in Florida, but like LSU, like if, sure. you know, if LSU's going to the supers every year, if Auburn's yeah, Auburn's good now, like that's <laughs> ridiculous. So yeah, I think they ought to be doing better than they're doing. I, I think, uh, but I don't know. I think they, this is maybe a little too too obscure, but when they they came close to to getting Kevin O'Sullivan away from Florida, I think that would have been, I mean, 
the equivalent yeah. of hiring Nick Saban. I think he's sure. I think he's on my list of the two best coaches in college baseball and bringing him to Columbia would have like yeah. that's a sliding doors moment that I'm trying not to think about. <laughs> um, but yeah, I you know I think it's it's fine, but I'm I'm I do want to go back to your point about building stars cuz I I think that with just with uh it's tough the it's tough because the guys you see in college baseball, when they matriculate to the majors, it takes a few years, even in the best case scenario, but you can build stars within the game. Cause there are guys who are, who are playing big, you know, I almost said big minutes, but you know what I mean? They're getting sure. a lot of playing time for, for big name programs and going far in, in, uh, uh, in the tournament, they're on TV every weekend. So <clears throat> is rockers, obviously that guy right now, but you could could have said the same thing for Alex Bregman when he was in college for Dansby Swanson, um, for Walker Bueller and Carson Fulmer. Like right. you can build, you can market those guys from a, a couple years off. And I think that the in-game coverage, the national coverage uh, on ESPN and and their their tentacles yeah. actually does a pretty good job of hyping up uh, individual players. So I think even if they are only there for three years and, and they, some guys might pop up a little bit late, it is sure. possible to, to, uh, build a little bit of familiarity. And, you know, maybe that's something that, that those of us who cover primarily pro ball ought to do more, you know, take a, a longer look at, at examining some of the personalities in college baseball, because it's, it's weird. And, but in a very cool way down there. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. And that kind of segues into my next thing, which is a weird segue, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Michael also has been covering the NHL for The Ringer. And it yeah, and so far as we do that, they let me write two articles a year. Well, just so happens one of them came out today. OK, so so senior staff NHL writer Michael Bauman. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Uh, uh, I am getting more and more into hockey. Those of you who are watching live can see my hat. I am. Uh, just really, really starting to love this sport more and more. And I, I pester Michael again on Gchat about uh, what players are good, what, uh, what to expect. But I think hockey's a lot of fun, and I think baseball can be a lot of fun. So uh, we're going to do something uh, where I'm going to make Michael make Major League Baseball comps for some of the hockey stars. And let's start with the big one, Connor McDavid. If you had to compare him, to a major league baseball star, who are you comparing him to? He's probably the only hockey player who's more interesting than is his baseball counterpart. Uh, but I think the only person to compare him to is Mike Trout. He's that yeah. good an all-around player. He's the the guy who you could make a credible argument. Maybe this is the best to to ever play the game. Like I think he's he's that good. He's doing stuff. I don't know. I've wrote about this in in the article today. It's about him and Austin Matthews. Uh, from the from the Maple Leafs, but just his skill and athleticism and vision, the fact he just operates faster than everybody else on the on the ice. You know, I I'm old enough to have seen Gretzky and Mario, but not really appreciate what they were at their peak. So with that caveat, like McDavid might be McDavid right now is probably better than any hockey player that I've like seen at their peak. Okay, let's do Austin Matthews, who is a, if you're not familiar with him, scores a heck of a lot of goals and is a, uh, a player that I enjoy just because, you know, I, I like when American players are good. Who would you compare Austin Matthews to? 
Yeah, not just American, but from Scottsdale, Arizona. Arizona, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> so I my comp is Juan Soto because it's about oh. it's it's all about the offense. And so yeah, Soto is not a guy who's gonna he'll steal a few bases. You know, he'll he's better. I guess he's a better defensive outfielder than like Pat Burrell or Jimenez, <laughs> <laughs> but. It's it's all about the bat, and it's all about the bat with Austin Matthews too. And both of them are are great offensive players because of stuff that that doesn't really look flashy. There's a, obviously they're both incredibly physically gifted, but there's a lot of of intelligence, a lot of slowing the game down, a lot of subtlety to to their offensive game. Um, and so I think it also like both of them are kind of I don't know. There's like a gleeful chippiness to to both of them that gotcha. that they they understand that it's a uh, that it's an entertainment product and maybe this is a little more subtle for for Matthews because hockey players are just constitutionally boring but <laughs> uh, it's you know he's he's having fun out there the what you know it, he's doing like the the NHL equivalent of the Soto shuffle between pitches so I think that That's... so you know it that that just jumped out to me. That was the first name that I thought of when I was doing this was Juan Soto. So that that's really interesting. Okay, I, I was proud of that. I was yeah, really. I, think I thought were, it was I really think, clever, but it's, apparently uh, it's just obvious. Oh well, well, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that shot. Of my, <laughs> uh, uh, next on my list is Kale McCarr, and I think I'm pronouncing that right. And if yeah. I'm not, I'm very sorry. A defenseman for the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, who would be that comparison? So I went with Alex Bregman. Uh, okay. legendary NCAA player plays bigger than his size impacts uh 200 foot game as they say in hockey right uh, good two-way player he's a defenseman who scored about a point a game this year which is which is just absolutely nuts uh so Alex Bregman I don't know if, if he's got like that edge to to uh that that Bregman has but in terms of just just on on ice impact interesting that's uh that was the toughest one for me to think is like what, uh, what, yeah, yeah because uh, defenseman, like it's, it's much tougher for me as, as a hockey novice to kind of tell what um, their true impact is and how much of it is system and stuff like that. But, but that makes sense. And then, so we're going to go with Sidney Crosby, but I'm talking the current Sidney Crosby, not the, uh, the one who was kind of competing for that goat status at some point and still probably a pretty good player. Who would you compare the current Sidney Crosby to uh, Clayton Kershaw. I think wow. that just even like the, the, their career arcs have sort of dovetailed nicely. Uh, Sidney Crosby, a little more successful uh, in the postseason, but I, they're both, you can see what made them the best at their position. I'd say arguably in the 21st century right. uh, in both cases. And that game is still there, but yeah, the, Speed isn't quite there for Crosby, the the fastball velocity for for Kershaw, but yeah, they're adapting, they're finding ways to to evolve and continue to be still superstar caliber players, just not literally the best player in the world anymore. Interesting, and I'll let you close with the goalie. And uh, this was just me picking the guy that I seem to hear the most talked about as the best goalie. This may not be accurate or not, but let's go with Andre Vasilevsky. Who would that be for the comp? 
So he's a goalie who puts up huge numbers. It's the backbone of a defense for the team that over the past three years or so has been the the best overall team in the NHL, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So he doesn't have to – he plays a position where you're supposed to the best carry the team, but his teammates are so talented that that he doesn't really have to. And so I I couldn't put my finger on one, um, but I – sort of landed in the middle of Aaron Nola and Steven Strasburg. So okay. it's with the Nola to Vasilevsky uh, thing is it's just a very quiet style of play that right. it's not just the one eye popping performance where, you know, Vasilevsky stands on his head and, and saves 43 shots and, and the lightning steal a game one, nothing. And you just look back at the body of work Um and at the end of the season, you're just overawed by the stats. And that's so that's the null element. The Strasburg element of it is, uh, first of all, draft type. He was a first round pick, which is very rare for a goalie because it takes right. so long to develop. They're so unpredictable. Uh, and he seems to have paid off and done so as a as just one member of, of a really balanced, well-rounded team. So Vasilevsky on the, the title winning lightning is the equivalent of Strasburg on the title winning Nats. That was a lot of fun. I really I had to stretch it. for that last no, one. So. No, that's okay. Um, if he, so it kind of sounds like you're saying if, if I'm reading you right, and I may not be, who would you say is the best goalie in the NHL is right now? Hmm. Right now I'd say Connor Hellebuck from okay. the Winnipeg Jets right now. I think maybe as we record uh, the, uh, Hellbuck's Jets are playing McDavid's Oilers in the first round of the playoffs. Hellbuck is that guy who who uh, stands on his head, who, who's dragging his team, kicking and screaming in the playoffs. You know, it's a very different stylistically from Dominic Hasek, if you remember from the around the turn of the century. But it's it's equivalent impact on the or not equivalent. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to uh, insult <laughs> probably the best goal you ever lived, right. but. It, a near equivalent impact where he's doing the stereotypical like heroic goalie performance. So, you know, maybe, maybe Vasilevsky's a little bit underrated because the team in front of him is so good, but uh, you know, I'd say he's among the best goalies in the league, but I'd pick Hellbuck if, if I had to choose one. Very cool. I, I should have, I should have asked you who the best goalie was before we, we came up with this list, but uh, still, still, that was a lot of fun. I can't wait for the Kraken to join the league. The I'm 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 loving this for you. I'm really enjoying yeah. watching you getting into hockey. I, it's, I think it's it, I, the, this hockey's the the sport I played most growing up. So sure. it's like I've always and you know because I don't have to write about it. It's not work most of the time. So <laughs> sure. I really do enjoy uh, watching and talking about it. Well, as a fan of the the Mariners uh, and the Seahawks and. Some other teams that have disappointed me. I can't wait. Yeah, to see that, that really disappointing Seahawks run. You know, <laughs> look, I the three had, Super Bowl I, appearances, consistently I, winning, yeah, you know, winning the division. Sure, your Hall yeah. of Fame quarterback, your legendary defense, you know, which is not that far in the past. Sure, disappointing uh-huh. the Seattle Seahawks. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, I really want to thank Michael for taking part. Is there anything you'd like to promote today, good sir? I'd like to promote uh, my new podcast, Chris Crawford's Stop Lying About the Seahawks <laughs> Being Bad. 
<laughs> no, you can find you can find my work at theringer.com uh, where I write about uh, this week. I write about hockey, but mostly baseball. I do some some TV and movie stuff. I did a, a feature article on the accent work in Mayor of Easttown that ran a couple weeks ago that nice. uh, I'm pretty proud of. Um, awesome. I co-host, as Chris said, the Ringer MLB show, which uh, is Spotify exclusive, but still free to listen to. That comes out every Friday. Uh, what else do I do? Oh, I tweet from time to time. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Bauman. Nice. Nice. Uh, so that will do it for us again. I thank Michael for taking part. We'll have a special guest again next Thursday. I'm not sure who that'll be, but he's probably, he or she is probably not going to live up to this magic. Uh, stay tuned. I'm a tough act to follow. You're yeah. a very tough act to follow. <laughs> stay tuned tomorrow for Mr. Short and Mr. Silva as they will try to match the magic of the show. Good luck. Again, you can follow Michael on Twitter at Michael Bauman, and that's with two N's. Uh, and you can follow me at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. So thank you again, everybody, for listening or watching. And if you have a chance, please rate the show. Five stars is pretty cool. It's, it's, a, nice, it's a nice little rating. It's easy to do. And thank you again for listening. And please stay safe. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.